Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Hey, warm up for the Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, Jeff Parles, he does great work here at VEASAN. He's going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at some of these hot and heavy playoff races. On top of that, we are going to be diving in on what we've all got on the baseball card for this Friday, as well as he's going to be diving in on a few teams that he thinks are currently out of the playoffs slash outside their division that are going to be able to rise up. So always great to be able to get Jeff aboard. He is going to be joining me in segment number two in the final segment. Going to get you guys fixing analysis on every game on the betting board for this baseball Friday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but a little bit of cleanup from what we saw late on Wednesday, especially the unfortunate situation that happened with Shoya Otani. As Greg Peterson experienced now from midnight to 3 Eastern time, that is 9 to midnight Pacific time, so do have to do this a little bit in advance, but let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. In terms of the game that we saw on Wednesday, Wednesday between Red Sox and Astros. This was one of the two games that was still going on as I was needing to record. The Red Sox pulled it off 7-5 in 10 innings. You had a Josh Winkowski give up an earned run in the 10th inning, but being able to bust through in that 10th inning, you had Adam Duvall go deep. Home run number 14 of the campaign. That was off of Kendall Graveman, who did dig the grave of Houston in this one, giving up three runs, two of which were earned in that one. And then on a Thursday, this really manifested as the Boston Red Sox won 17-1. This was the no-sweat winner of the day if you had the Red Sox and or the over. As they hit the over all by themselves in the third inning. As going deep in this one, and Alex Verdugo go deep off of J.P. France, 10th home run season. Then you had Wylier Abreu. Hopefully I said that correctly because that is his first career home run. 
Hopefully the first of many for him. And then you had home run number eight of the season off the bat of Connor Wong. As for the Houston Astros, J.P. France, well, this was rough. He got seven outs. He gave up ten runs, all of which were earned. He wishes he was in France. After that one, Brian Bielock in super long relief gives up three runs in five and a third innings. Rafael Monterrebol, he got it out of the bullpen. And then Martin Maldonado now is an ERA of 36. He gave up four runs in an inning. That's a catcher that was pitching for them. And the Astros, they went one of 11 with men in scoring position. Brian Bale, tremendous start. Gives up one run in seven innings. Gave up nine hits with... A little bit fortunate to wiggle out of it, but, you know, they were up by so many runs, it didn't matter at that point, and Mauricio Lovero was able to give you two scoreless settings as well. Then we have to get to what we saw in Game 2 of the doubleheader between the Reds and the Angels. Reds were able to get the job done 7-3, and, I mean, well, everything's important with regards to what happened in this one line. Richardson, he gave up three runs over the course of four and a third innings before Sam Mall, Fernando Cruz, Alexis Diaz, London Squirrel setting, and Lucas Sims, five outside the bullpen squirrels. You did see Shohei Otani actually hit in this game, and for Shohei Otani, he went one of five. We do have to wonder what is going to be happening moving forward because he tore his UCL, it sounds like. There's going to be second opinions on him, but man, this is just absolutely horrible, the sad situation. And sources are saying that Joy Otani should be able to continue to hit despite the UCL injury. You've got to wonder how much that's going to affect him moving forward, but just absolutely rough. You feel for the guy in Reed Detmers. Well, this was rough as well. He gave up four runs over the course of five innings and going deep for the Cincinnati Reds off of him was Tyler Stevenson, 10th home run season. Matt McLean got his 15th home run season off of Matt Moore, who gave up three runs over the course of an inning. And Jose Soriano, Rinaldo Lopez, Carlos VII, lend a squirrel setting for an LA Angels team that's now 61-67 and 67 after they bought at the deadline. Good grief. Now let's take a look at what we got on Thursday and the DK Network right a pick. Looked like we were... <laughs> Trying to be like the LA Angels, but you know what? The Twins bail us out in the eighth inning. Seven of five, the Minnesota Twins are able to get the job done as for Pablo Lopez. He had given up one run in his previous four starts, gets lit up like a Christmas tree. Five runs for 105 innings, including three home runs. Marcus Simeon, 20th home run of the season. Corey Seager is 24th, and Leody Tavares is 12th, but... Josh Winder, really the unsung hero of the game. Three scoreless innings, and then Griffin Jacks gets you jacked up for a scoreless inning. And for the Twins, lots of solo bombs in this one. Kyle Farmer gets his eighth home run season off of Andrew Heaney. Heaney serves up a pair to Michael A. Taylor, 18th and 19th home runs of the season. And then off of Chris Stratton, Royce Lewis gets his sixth home run of the season. Then Will Smith got jiggy with it, giving it up to Ryan Jeffers, his 10th home run of the season as... For Andrew Heaney, goes four and a third innings, allows three solo home runs from there. Chris Strand, one and a third innings, allows that one solo home run. Josh LeClerc, a scoreless inning, but Josh Saboris and Will Smith made a mess out of the eighth inning. Saboris put a pair of men on base to not get a single out, giving up two runs without getting it out. And then Will Smith gives up that home run to Ryan Jeffers. That turned out to be the difference in the game. So back on track there and the Cubs. They're right on track. They get a win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. This by count of five to four. For the Buccos, they were able to force extra innings in this one as you had Rob Zanowski. Hopefully I said that correctly. He was the opener for Andre 3000 Jackson. For Zanstowski, he gives up a run in an inning. And there's like no vowels whatsoever in his last save. It makes it very difficult. Meanwhile, Andre 3000 Jackson gives up two runs in six innings. Colin Lolderman, David Benner, they both give you a scoreless inning. And then Thomas Hatch comes in. He allows two unearned runs in the 10th inning as Connor Joe did not make things go. He had an error that really costed the team in the 10th inning. Meanwhile, the man of seal, Justin Seal, pretty solid. Two runs given up in six innings. He did give up 
home run number six of the season to Joshua Palicios. And from there, bullpen did a relatively solid job for the Cubs. Adbert Alzale gets up an unearned run in the 10th inning, but Julian Merriweather, Michael Former, Daniel Palencia, they were all able in a scoreless inning. For the LA Dodgers in the game that they had to finish up from Wednesday, they got the job done by kind of 6-1, taking down the Cleveland Guardians as from the suspension as Clayton Kershaw had pitched his two innings. The team really did a nice job of piecemealing things together. Ryan Brazier, two scoreless innings. Alex Vesia, Bruce Hutter, Gradwell, Brian Hudson, all ended scoreless inning. And Gus Farland, Victor Gonzalez, they combined for two scoreless innings for the Dodgers. No home runs or anything like that, but they did a good job of being able to get to the bullpen pieces that followed. Nick Sandlin, he gives up a one run and one and two-thirds innings. Eli Morgan, four outside the bullpen, scoreless on Yel de los Santos. Pair of outside the bullpen, James Karen checks Sam Antiches. Pair of scoreless innings, and then Tim Heron, two runs surrendered and one and a third innings. And the true game that we were able to get on Thursday, the Dodgers get it done once again. Nine to three, the final as the Dodgers they just continue to rip the cover off the ball. Kike Hernandez goes deep off of Hunter Gaddis, his eighth home run season. And Mr. Bush was able to get his first home run season. Michael Bush. As Michael Bush, he goes deep off of Gavin Williams, who gave up seven runs, five of which were earned, and four and a third innings. And Hunter Gaddis, four and two thirds innings of super long relief, gives up two runs. So not too bad there. You know, Gabriel Arias get his eighth home run season. That comes off of Ryan Pepiot as the Dodgers sort of piecemealed this thing together as well. Caleb Ferguson, along with Evan Phillips, front end, back end, they were both able to end a scoreless inning for Pepio in a bulk roll. Gives up one run in four innings. That's all home run. And Ryan Yarbrough gives up two runs over the course of three innings as well to be able to get the Dodgers to a win. And Dodgers playing right around 60% of their games to the over thus far this season. The Tampa Bay Rays, they were able to take it to the Colorado Rockies once again. They cover the run line in every one of these games of the sweep. 5-3, to three, the final as for the Colorado Rockies. Peter Lambert gives up just two runs over the course of five innings, including a solo home run going deep for the Tampa Bay Rays. It was home run number 18 of the season for Luke Rayleigh. And then Josh Lowe goes deep off of Matt Cook for his 17th home run season. And Isak Paredes, home run number 26 of the campaign. That comes off of Tommy Doyle, who gives up a solo home run in his inning of work. Mr. Cook, he gives up two runs at one and two-thirds innings before Justin Brule gets it out of the bullpen. And for Nolan Jones, he had all three RBI for the Colorado Rockies, including his 13th home run season. That comes off of Irasimo Ramirez, who is a little bit of a bulk guy, gives up three runs in two and two-thirds innings. Sean Armstrong has the opener, two squirrels settings. Jason Adam, two squirrels settings. Jake Diekman, four outside the bullpen squirrels. And Pete Fairbanks is able to get a squirrel setting. So the Tampa Bay Rays, despite their ailments and everything that's been happening, they get a nice sweep. And also being able to get the job done was the uh, Washington Nationals. Six to five, they take down the New York Yankees. They are now 23 and 15, by the way. The Nationals are ever since the all-star break and for the New York Yankees. Seven and 17 since the return of Aaron Judge. For the Yankees, they did get a trail of homers, and Aaron Judge had one of them. 28th home run season, that comes off of Patrick Corbin. From there, you had Labor Torres go deep off of Corbin. 20th home run season, John Carlos San off of Jordan Weems, who was able to get home run number 19 of the campaign. As for Corbin, he settled down, giving up three runs over the course of six innings. Hunter RV is scoreless inning, and then Weems and Finnegan. They both combined to give up two runs over the course of two innings for Kyle Finnegan. Gets the final four outs of the game. It was Harry, but they were able to get it in. And then Alex Call went deep off of Tommy Camley and C.J. Abrams did as well. Back-to-back jacks 
Cole is seventh home run season. Abrams is 14th for a Nationals fourth spot in the seventh inning that costed them. Michael King, the opener, gives up one under run in two and two thirds innings. Keenan Middleton brought out the bullpen scoreless. Johnny Brito gives up one run in two and a third innings, and then Canely three runs surrendered in two thirds of an inning, including those two home runs. Quay Holmes gives up a run in an inning, and Albert Abreu he was able to twirl a scoreless inning. So the pit of misery just continues for the New York Yankees. Right now, the pit of misery continues for the Chicago White Sox. As I do this podcast, they are currently down by kind of 7-5 to five to the Oakland A's as the A's have went home run derby boat in this one. Brent Rooker is 22nd home run season off of Jesse Schultons. Schultons allows a pair to Shea Langelaire's 14th and 15th home runs of the season. And Zach Geloff goes deep off of Jimmy Lambert, his 10th of the campaign for Schultons. He gives up three home runs, five runs allowed in five and two-thirds innings. Jimmy Lambert, one and a third innings. He allows two runs, and for the Oakland A's, Ken Waldachuk gave up a trail of home runs. Five runs himself in th- in five innings, as Elvis Andrews' fifth home run season. Andrew Benatendi is fourth, and Luis Robert is 34th, as that game's going into the bottom of the seventh, so we're going to need to do a little bit of cleanup there. Certainly going to need to do cleanup on this game. Reds and Diamondbacks, as I do this podcast, 0-0 zero to zero going into the bottom of the third. We shall see what happens there, but right now it looks like the Orioles putting themselves in good footing to take this one against the Toronto Blue Jays up 5-3 in the bottom of the eighth inning as Road Jose Barrios showed up once again. Five runs surrendered over the course of six innings, including a pair of bombs. Anthony Santander, 24th home run season. Cedric Mullins is 11th, and Kyle Gibson completes eight innings. He gives up three runs, and that included a home run to Brandon Belt, 15th home run season, but completed eight innings. Right now, the Toronto Blue Jays win a Yimmy Garcia in the bullpen to be able to hold down the fort. And right now, holding down the fort, if you're taking a look at the great game of baseball, is being able to get some unders in. As we have seen things be a little bit overwhelming in the last seven days. I'll get into that in a second. But overall for the season, 50.8% of games have gone under the total. 927 unders to 897 overs. Favorites are 1,091 and 792 on the money line. That's 57.9%. But... In terms of being able to cover that minus one and a half run line, 277 total favorites have failed to do so thus far this season, and favorites are having a really rough run of it over the last seven days. 41 and 38, though all but seven of them have been able to cover the run line. Meanwhile, in the last seven days, we have seen things be a little bit overwhelming. 44 overs, 35 unders, and I don't think any pushes along the way. That's a little bit of a rarity, and over the last 30 days, favorites hitting at about 57%, 215 and 163 on the money line. In terms of being able to cover that run line, all but 46 have been able to do so, and over the last 30 days, 196 unders, 177 overs, and a few pushes along the way. So that's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now, and that's what we all got on Thursday. Now, let's take a look at the Friday card and these wild playoff races with Jeff Parles, who does great work here at VEASAN, and he joins me next on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. 
Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here at Lucky Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it's great to be joined by this fan as Jeff Parles. He does amazing work here at VEASAN. You're able to catch him on our Saturday and Sunday bet prep shows. And on top of that, I know that during the football season, he is going to be doing a lot of our live betting coverage when it comes to college football, when it comes to taking a look at the great game of the NFL on Sundays as well. He always does an amazing job on that front end. He's been doing an incredible job taking a look at the game of baseball all season long as well. And you're able to find him on X, which I'm still not used to saying that, but we got to correct this time. At his name, Jeff Parles, and that's Jeff with a J, not a G-E, and Jeff, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. As always, Hoops, always a pleasure to join you. It is always a pleasure to have you aboard, and Jeff, we have been seeing some wonky playoff races, to say the least. The NL Central has gotten very hot and heavy, along with that wild card, the AOS, it is hot and heavy out there as well. Out of all the playoff races, are there any that you're finding a little bit of value with the futures market or a team that is currently in first, maybe controlling a wild card spot that you think might be falling out? Let's start in the NL wild card race, which is basically a race to the finish line of who can get hot in September and end up grabbing the bull by the horns for those second and third wild cards. I can't believe the Padres have managed to screw this up as badly as they have this year, but they're done. And I really do think at this point, come down to whichever one of the NL Central teams, either the Cubs or the Reds, and one of the West teams, either the Diamondbacks or the Giants, are going to end up getting in there. I still lean with the Giants being the better team out West. The Diamondbacks kind of have steadied the ship after their total train wreck out of the All-Star break. I don't even love the Giants. They're really not playing well. I really don't think they're that good. But but when push comes to shove here, I think they'll find a way in over Arizona. And then the Cubs would be my other one. I just don't think Reds will have enough gas to get to the finish line here in the National League. And then on the AL side, I'll be honest with you, Greg, I think the Mariners are going to end up pulling this thing out in the AL West. Forget the wild card, but the whole AL West, they're just playing so well at this point that it's hard for me to see a scenario where Houston and Texas are consistent enough down the stretch. I mean, Texas is playing some really bad baseball right now. All things considered here, Greg, I would anticipate that we end up seeing Seattle winning the division and getting themselves in via the AL West. And Texas may play Houston in the 4-5 or when it's all said and done. I know Tampa has a three-and-a-half game lead over them right now, but uh, we're going to see some wild stuff in the American League playoff race down the stretch as well. Oh, I think so as well. We've got a lot of intrigue with regards to these teams. They're going to be doing battle on Friday as well. I know that you were talking about the not-so-great baseball being played by the Texas Rangers. Well, now they're on the road against a Minnesota Twins team that they haven't played great this year, but they're in firm control of the AL Central just because absolutely nobody else wants it. Dane Dunning goes for the Rangers. It's Sonny Gray on the bump for the Twins, with the Twins being between about minus 125 to minus 130 favorites and an 8.5 total. How do you view this sort of game? Because with Dane Dunning, I feel like he's been one of the luckiest pitchers in baseball all season long, and he's always had his road struggles. Meanwhile, for Sonny Gray, the numbers themselves aren't too bad, but 
every time I watch him, I just feel like he's sort of walking on eggshells and he gives out a lot of walks, jacks up his pitch count. And I'm really not too much of a fan of either of these guys. And I feel like both of these guys are doing for a bit of regression. Dunning especially is due for a little bit of regression. Gray was really good. He was a bet on earlier in the season. And obviously, again, the Twins, they're going to win the AL Central. But that's because everyone else in that division stinks. So when push comes to shove here, Hoops really do think in the end, at least for this matchup and right now as we're recording on Thursday, Texas is ahead. We'll see if they can hold on and snap that losing streak. But, again, they'll both be in the playoffs. I don't really have much faith of them moving forward. No play in this game. I lean to gray, but, again, I just don't have faith in Minnesota to realistically bet this one here. Yeah, I don't blame me there. With the Minnesota Twins, it has been a all-over-the-place season for them and for the Texas Rangers. I do have some fears with regards to that pitching. As joining me on the show, we do have Jeff Parles. He does tremendous work over here at Vison and Jeff. I know that this is a team that has been a very big sore spot for you. The Mets, they are going up against a to-be-determined starter against the LA Angels because it was supposed to be Tyler Anderson, but he had to come in in super long relief after Shoyo Otani went out. He is done for the year, and we're just hoping that he doesn't have to miss the entirety of the 2024 season due to what happened on Wednesday. Just a really rough situation, but... How do you take a look at both of these teams? Because obviously, we've got no number up on the board for this game right now. The Angels trying to cope with the loss of Mr. Otani. And for the Angels, they went all in at the trade deadline. They have come up about as snake eyes as you can. And for the Mets, they went all in prior to the season. And well, this is a bunch that is going to be finishing below 500. I think both of these teams, for their different ways and the way that they went about it, two of the biggest disappointments in baseball, of course, the Otani-Trout era, more likely than not going to end with zero playoff game. As ridiculous as that is, Trout was also put back on the IL, and I would imagine we won't see him again this year as well. Look, both of these teams, they're unbettable. The Angels are playing awful baseball. The Mets the Mets actually look like they might have had an opportunity to get themselves back in it, even with all the whole sellout at the trade deadline, but they're done as well. They're tied with Washington entering Thursday. The Nats actually are a lot more fun than the Mets are at this point, which is saying something about what the Mets have become here this year. So in the end, Hoops, nothing on this game, and it really was a disappointing year for the Mets. It kind of just shows that I I, I was kind of on the right path that this was going to be a one-and-done last year, and they really blew what their opportunity to have home field win a division. And, of course, we know what happened in September with them, the easiest schedule in baseball, and they managed to screw it up anyway. All eyes are on Otani now, and I really hope he doesn't need surgery. A second UCL surgery would really be bad news for Otani, and I don't know how that would impact his offseason. But, again, he's still one of the five best hitters in baseball, so he's going to get paid. He just may not get that $700 million plateau that I thought he was worth as being a top 15 starting pitcher and a top five hitter. Yep, with Shohei Otani, it's just a really, really sad thing to see, not just for him, but for the game of baseball as well. You just hope that he doesn't need Tommy John surgery slash something else because that's just rough to say the least. And you got a pair of teams that it's been less than savory years for them. And I know you were mentioning the Washington Nationals being a little bit of fun and They've been very profitable post-All-Star break. And the last three times they've tried it out there, Yohan Adon, they pulled out a win. I think that there's going to be a regression with that. They're going to be taking on a Miami Marlins team that if you want to know something I think is going to regress towards back half of the season, them being something like 27-11 and 11 in one-run games. But Bryson Garrett goes for Miami. Yohan Adon is on the bump for Washington, seeing a lot of eight totals with the Nationals. 
being right around a plus 162 to a plus 164. And if it was anyone other than a Doan on the mound for the Nationals, perhaps even Patrick Corbin, I'd be willing to take a shot. But a Doan, despite the fact that he's won a few games, 70 RA, and it still looks very much like the Yohan Adon that we saw last season. I agree with you. I actually would have taken a shot at the Nats, but a Doan is due for some regression here, and, and the numbers back a pretty significant regression very quickly for a Doan. I just can't get there with Washington. I wish I trusted Miami's offense a little bit more because I would take a shot at going over the total here. But again, even with the Doan's regression, I just can't get there on an eight and a half. Oops. Maybe if this thing uh, torpedoes down. Well, actually, it's eight right now with most of these overnights. Somehow you get a seven and a half, maybe. You take a look at it, but it is juiced to the over on the eight. So I don't think we're seeing a seven and a half at any point on this game. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to be getting that either. And that would be a mistake if they would hang that one up there. So I'm in agreement. As joining me on the show, we do have Jeff Barles. He does amazing work over here at Beeson and when it comes to this game, I think that it is a fascination because the Atlanta Braves, they've been the top team in the National League all season long, though the Dodgers, I do think that they are starting to nip at their heels for that moniker of top spot in the National League. But with Spencer Strider, he dominated the Giants last time he faced them, but that was just a week ago. Now he has to go on the road against the San Francisco team that they have really scuffled with their offense post-All-Star break. They should be lucky. The pitching has kept them in a lot of games, but Logan Webb goes for San Francisco. He has been the ultimate home pitcher for San Francisco over the last few years. And right now with the Giants, find them between plus 130 and plus 140. I'm not sure if you make anything out of this game, but being able to get this sort of a plus number with Logan Webb, even with the way that the Giants have struggled with regards to their offense post-All-Star break, I think it's something I'm going to be looking at. You still trust Logan Webb. And like you said, you're going to get a pretty good price because it's Strider Day for the Braves. Yeah, look, this would be a good opportunity even with – a struggling offense out of the All-Star break and struggling. It might be insulting the word struggling at this point, Hoops. It's been a disaster for the Giants' offense over the last six weeks. But this seems like a good spot also, Hoops. Seven and a half under I do think is reasonable here. The two elite starting pitchers going. I would go under and I would look at taking the Giants at home here against Atlanta. Yeah, I do think that we've got ourselves a nice little angle there with the Giants and Logan Webb just continuing to be as dominant as he has been at home. And I know that you were talking about the Cubs a little bit earlier. This is such an intriguing series because with the Cubs, they just really need to not stub their toe against the Pittsburgh Pirates team that has been awful recently, to say the least. Mitch Keller goes for the Pirates and the Professor Kyle Hendricks goes for the Cubs who are right around about seeing as low as minus 110, seeing as high as minus 125, a little bit of variance there with a total of nine. But how do you view this sort of a matchup? Because with Kyle Hendricks, he was always such a good home pitcher compared to his road numbers throughout the early part of his career. But it's been a reversal the last few years. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is just a team I've had absolutely no faith in whatsoever, really since the end of the month of April. And they came crashing down to earth after that hot start to the season. Yeah, it looked like the Pirates actually could have been on to something. And then obviously, as we know, not in last place, though. We got to give them that hoop. Mm. Not in last place. Congratulations, St. Louis Cardinals. You've been pathetic for the first time in a long time. You're 100% right. It's kind of amazing that the Cubs are in this position because when they fell to 43-50 and 50 after losing to Washington two weeks before the trade deadline, I forget who I was filling in for, but I was in for someone on Beeson, and I said it was going to be a big mistake that the Cubs didn't just sell everybody off. And I was completely wrong. They've obviously played great baseball since then. They're 23-10 and 10 since that loss to Washington on, Monday, on that Monday night. 
And look, the run differential has been the best in that division all year long. They are the best team in that division. Milwaukee has just found it over the last few weeks, especially when it looked like things are going to go sideways. Obviously, winning five in a row. The Brewers, I think, are safe three and a half up on both the Cubs and the Reds going into the weekend. This Cubs team, just again, Hoops, how big of a favorite is Hendricks right now again? About a minus 125 favorite. I'm seeing as low as a minus 110 in a few books. I would be very comfortable with laying, especially if you can get that coin flip price of minus 110 or a slight favorite on the minus 105 lines, dime line. I would look to take the Cubs there at that price. And kind of amazing that Kyle Hendricks has actually pitched as well as he has this year because he's a guy who looked like he was totally shot a year ago and now pitching well for a team that is genuinely in the race. Yeah, he has been able to do a really nice job, even with not getting any strikeouts whatsoever, of just having good command, keeping the ball in the yard. And I think there might be a little bit of regression there. Don't think it's going to be coming against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Jeff, when it comes to the board that we do have for Friday, all 30 teams are going to be in action. Anything else that you are taking a look at, whether it's a bet that you're going to be placing or just maybe a team that has caught your eye, you've got a little bit of intrigue with them, and you want to see what they do moving forward. Oh, I am very much enjoying how much the New York Yankees stink. <laughs> I mean, my God. I mean, you lose a series at home to Washington. It is truly remarkable that they have fallen to what they are right now. I'm reading this right. Uh, Cole is a pretty reasonably sized underdog on Friday night against Eflin, correct? Yeah, plus 115 yeah. to plus 120. Yeah, I, I mean, look, that just kind of shows – what the Yankees are at this point. They stink. So even the Cy Young favorite is on the mound and he's an underdog. And Eflin has had a nice season, but we know there's no home field advantage in Tampa. It's kind of stunning to see that type of number on Cole, but it's right. The Yankees are that pathetic at this point. I will say one other bet that I would look to take a shot at. I don't mind Tyler Beebe for the Guardians. I do think the Guardians, uh, if you can get about plus 125 on Beebe, I would take a shot on that on Friday night against Chris Bassett, who has been all over the place for the Blue Jays this year. So I don't mind the Guardians on the road north of the border. And it's been really interesting to look at the Guardians as they've been a bunch that just has not been able to crank out the deep ball whatsoever, but they always hang in games with their pitching. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, they just have not been able to generate offense at home. Meanwhile, on the road, they've actually been able to do a nice job of be able to get on base, move the line, and be able to crank out a little bit more of the deep ball. So... We shall see what happens there. We've got a nice card on Friday. And, Jeff, I know you do a great job. Take a look at a little bit of everything that we've got. I know you're going to be doing a lot of our live betting coverage throughout the football season. You do a great job with the bet prep shows on both Friday and Saturday if you're out here on the West Coast, East Coast, more Saturday and Sunday. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, Jeff Parles on the tweets is the right place to go find me, Hoops. And for Friday, I'm in for Matt Humans on VEASAN tonight. So it'll be me and Wes Reynolds on Friday night, 9 o'clock Eastern time. And then back on Sunday, bet prep on Saturday. Just remember that. Sunday bed prep airs on Saturday, and Saturday bed prep airs on Friday. Remember that, everyone. Keep that one square. And, yeah, like you said, live in-game shows during the football season on the weekends. Jeff does an amazing job taking a look on so many different fronts. He's going to be doing an amazing job taking a look at the football front. Always does a rock-solid job with baseball, and every single time he joins this podcast, lends tremendous insight. So a big thanks to Jeff for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis. On every game on the betting board for this Baseball Friday as we touch them all. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here above you, Las Vegas, for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Jeff Parles. He does great work with our Saturday and Sunday bet prep shows over on Visa, and I know that He's been doing a great job throughout the last few years doing a lot of our live betting coverage with regards to NFL Sundays, college football Saturdays. I'm quite sure that he will be in a similar role this year every single time he joins this podcast. He does absolutely an incredible job of taking a look at these games, taking a look at the playoff races, and so much more. So, big thanks to Jeff for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Baseball Friday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be set up on my Twitter feed at gnet underscore d1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go through the National League games first, send the American League games, and any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice and clean and easy. So, 
Without further ado, let's dive in on this first game. It is 951-952 on the betting board. It is the Washington Nationals on the road facing up against the Miami Marlins. Braxton Garrett goes for the fish, and Yohan Adon is on the bump for Washington. Washington is an underdog of between plus 162 and plus 175. Anywhere between minus 186 to a minus 195 is your number on Miami. 8 to 8.5 is the total. On the 8.5, under is minus 120. The over is even. On the 8, the over is between minus 115 to a minus 120. And that under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And in terms of this one, I did set my total at an 8.9. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. Got a guy in Yohan Adon whose ERA is right now 7. Granted, he's going to a ballpark that has yielded the fewest amount of total home runs as far this season on a per-game basis between the amount of home runs hit by the Miami Marlins and their opponents. But take a look at Yohan Adon. Sure, the fielding independent is a little bit better than his 70 ERA, but he's not pitched very well. I recognize that he hasn't been quite the fade that he was last season as when he's come into games, he has pitched in five games the total. The team is 3-2. and two. Not really because of his bang-up pitching or anything like that. Two of these wins, by the way, came against the Cincinnati Reds and the Oakland A's. The Reds win. Not too bad. The Oakland A's win. Well, it's the Oakland A's, but he's given up two home runs and three walks per nine innings. The swing and miss stuff is up a little bit with right around eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but still yielding a 527 fielding independent. Going up against someone in Braxton Garrett who all season long he's been relatively solid. He'll have his clunkers here and there, but he comes in having allowed three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. Overall, in those last five starts, yielding a total of eight runs, 394 ERA, but actually a 361 fielding independent. Has done a good job of being economical with his pitches. 9.3 strikeouts to 1.5 walks per nine innings. It's 6.3 strikeout to walk ratio. Best among qualifying National League pitchers now. He does have a 4.98 ERA compared to a 2.86 ERA on the road. His home ERA is a 4.98. I think that this is just due to the opponents that he's played at home. He had that one start in, I think it was May, where he went up against the Atlanta Braves and he gave up like 11 runs, and that just completely threw off his home and road splits. But all in all, I do think that Braxton Garrett should do a solid job against the Washington Nationals team that they've actually done a nice job of being able to generate offense. Post-All-Star break, they're averaging north of five runs per contest since the All-Star break, a top 10 mark. But a lot of this is just because they go sort of death by a million cuts. You've got Lane Thomas, who's been able to give you 20 home runs. He's been able to do about a 285. And then Keeper Ruiz, he's up to 15 home runs. He's been able to do a nice job in a 260. But a lot of this team, just a lot of guys are in between. I would call it about a 250 to a 265. Stone Garrett just above that and more like a 270. But Keeper is Luis Garcia, Dominic Smith, C.J. Abrams. They're all sort of in that 252 to 265 area code. And then with regards to the Miami Marlins, they did add some thumping power at the trade deadline. You've been able to get a lot of power recently out of Josh Bell. Seven home runs in his 20 games in a Miami Marlins uniform. Jake Berger is not at the home runs they had with the Chicago White Sox, but he's currently inning at 347. I certainly think that that's going to be dropping down a little bit, but for the Marlins... They're, once again, not a team that necessarily has had a ton of home runs this season, though I do see a reversal coming, but they've got a lot of guys that are doing a good job of just being able to reach base, move the line. Brian De La Cruz, Asu Sanchez, Yoli Gurriel, hitting between about a 255 to 266. 
Now, something that the Miami Marlins do need is for Luis Arias to get back to what he was towards the beginning part of the season. He's hitting just at 250 over the last three weeks, last 15 days, hitting at 231 with a 245 on base. He has been slumping the last few weeks, but for the Miami Marlins, they do have the better bullpen in this spot as well. You've got Stephen Okert, Andrew Nardi, who will be able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. David Robertson just has not been terrific since coming over to Miami. We're going to call it what it is. He's got a 7 ERA in a Marlins uniform. I do think that he's going to be able to shape up a little bit with that regard. And the big trepidation you do have with the Washington Nationals, despite the fact that they're actually seven games above 500 since the All-Star break. They've really been able to play some nice baseball. This is the fact that they still do have won the bottom bullpens in the big leagues. It's gotten a little bit better recently. Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Harvey, Jordan Weems have been able to give you a sub-3 ERA, but when you trust in schlubs like Mason Thompson, who has nearly a 5 ERA, Jose Ferrara is north of a 5 ERA, when they've been throwing out there like Robert Garcia, 6 ERA, that's a little bit of an issue, and you want to just someone that I absolutely cannot back. Recognize that the team has won each of his last three appearances. Not necessarily due to his great pitching. I was willing to lay a price on this run line. I'm seeing that between even and plus 105. I was willing to go up to a minus 120. So I'm going to have the Marlins on the run line. So I told it an 8.9. So you're at an 8.2 and 8.5. Also looking at the over 953, 954 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs are on the road facing up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. As Mitch Keller goes for the Buckos. And Kyle Hendricks, the professor, is on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs are between minus 110 to a minus 125 favorite. Even money to plus 112 is your number on the Buckos with 8.5 to 9 being the total on the 8.5. Over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 9, the over and the under are both at minus 110. And with the Cubs, I was willing to lay up to a minus 111 with them. I'm seeing a minus 110. I don't want to go any further. And it's an interesting spot because I'm seeing as high as a plus 112 out there on the Pirates. Between a minus 110 on the Cubs and a plus 112 on the Pirates, I'd rather lay the minus 110 with the Cubs. Now, if this just shoots up overnight to where the Pirates are more like a plus 120 to a plus 125, I'd be willing to take that. But at current numbers, I would lay that minus 110 with the Chicago Cubs personally. They just have been the hotter team right now, and I would rather trust in that a little bit, even though the professor and Kyle Hendricks, he does give up some hard contact. He has been giving up about one home run per nine innings, but he just gives up a lot of hard contact because he gives up a lot of general contact. He's only getting about 5.8 or so strikeouts per nine innings. He's done a great job with the walks, only about 1.5 walks per nine innings. It's actually been much better on the road than he has been at home. For Hendricks, 484 home area, 286 road area. Towards the beginning part of his career, he's actually a much better home pitcher than a road pitcher. We've seen a little bit of reversal there. And then you do have Mitch Keller. He's been having a rough second half of the season, but last few starts, he's been able to get back online. Three runs or fewer surrendered in each out of his last three starts, and three runs or fewer surrendered in four out of his last five. And the lone outlier was that one just really bad start they had against the Milwaukee Brewers, but for our calories, went better at home than on the road as well. 353 home ERA, 485 ERA on the road, and the Pirates aren't bad with their bullpen. They've got Yohan Ramirez now out of the fold. I think that he got demoted in order for them to be able to just have more depth in general and to be able to have more length with regards to that bullpen, but you've had David Bonar be one of the better closers in the big leagues thus far this season. You've been able to have Jose Hernandez be able to lend a few solid innings as well. If you take a look since the beginning of the month of July, this is a Pirates team that's right around 10th or 11th in the league with regards to bullpen and the Cubs. They're right there as well 
We have seen Michael Fulmer have his issues over the last few weeks, but Edbert Alzelay has been very good with regards to this bullpen. I like what I've been seeing out of Julie Merriweather this year, posting up about a 3-5 ERA, and then Mark Leiter Jr. He's been in and out of the fold when you've had him in there. He's been able to do a nice job, but what is very much fearsome with this Chicago Cubs team is that there's truly no breaks with regards to the lineup. If you take a look at the starting lineup that they threw out there yesterday, they had one guy with an on-base percentage that was lower than a 3.33, and that was a 3.14 with Ian Gomes. And you've got very balanced power with this team. Cody Bellinger, Dansby Swanson, when he's out there, Patrick Wisdom, Christopher Morrell, all between about 18 to 21 home runs as far this season. Cody Bellinger, since the beginning of the month of July, has been arguably a top-five hitter in the big leagues. Mike Talkman has been able to give you about a 3.70 on-base. Ian Happ doesn't hit for great average, but finds way on as well. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, you just don't have that with this lineup. Jack Swinniski, sitting about a buck fifty over the last 40 days. He's been able to supply overall about 21 home runs this season, but he's had just two over the last 35 days. Not been good to say the least. Brian Reynolds, he's been able to give you about 18 home runs. He's given you about a 330 on base. Connor Joe has moved the line as well. He and Andy Rodriguez sitting in that neighborhood about a 250, but you're looking to guys like Alfonso Rivas, Vinny Capra, young guys of this ilk that just have not been able to develop recently. Henry Davis has been a little bit in and out of the folding when he's been up at the big league level. That's been a little bit less than terrific as well. So if given the option between a minus 110 to a plus 112, I'd rather lay it with the Chicago Cubs or just flat out the better team. And I would much rather be trusting in the team that is a little bit more fortified in this spot. So looking at the Cubs at a minus 110, it's at my toilet in 8.6. I think that the professor going to perform well on the road against a Pirates offense that has been a little bit like Luster. I think that Keller delivers a good start as well. So, looking at the 9-under and the Cubs at a minus 110 on the money line. This is going to be the DK Network right pick. This is 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. The Philadelphia Phillies playing against the St. Louis Cardinals. Miles Michaelis goes for St. Louis and Christopher Sanchez is on the bump for the Phillies. Phillies are between a minus 134 to a minus 140 favorites. They're between plus 114 to plus 124 is your number. On St. Louis, 9.5 is the total. Over and under Ernie between minus 105 to a minus 115. And write-up pick is going to be on the Phillies. I'm going to officially write up the money line. I don't hate the run line either. I see a nice edge really on both fronts. I set the Phillies as a minus 164 favorite. I was... Won't take anything above a plus 120 with regards to the run line. Right now, finding that run line between plus 140 to a plus 145. I know that there are many that have trepidation with laying a run line at home. So, officially, I'm going to write up the money line with regards to the DK Network right to pick. But both of them, I see a nice advantage there. So, choose your adventure on that front. But when it comes to Christopher Sanchez, he's been able to do a nice job all season long for the Philadelphia Phillies. 336 ERA. Fielding dependent is a little bit higher because he has been giving up about 1.5 home runs. Per nine innings, but he's also allowed fewer than two walks per nine innings. So he missed stuff has been fine. He's been able to get eight strikeouts per nine innings. And across his 12 starts as far as the season, Christopher Sanchez, three runs are fear surrendered in 11. Now, he does have some interesting home and road splits, buck 29 ERA on the road, 436 ERA at home. I think that this is just more due to a small sample size on the road. He's only made four starts on the road, and he's gotten some very favorable road starts, like going up against the Pittsburgh Pirates, going up against the Oakland A's, the Washington Nationals. So that really is the big reason why you do have those monster to have home and road splits. Meanwhile, for Miles Michaelis, while he does have a fielding dependent of four compared to his 455 ERA 
Aside from that ejection in the first inning against the Cubs, we just tossed that one out because he didn't give any length whatsoever. He has given up three plus runs, and now five out of his last six starts. He has just been in really bad form in general, only giving up about one home run per nine innings, but he gives up a lot of general contact, only getting about 6.3 strikeouts per nine innings, and he's backed up by a bullpen that overall this year is 21st in the big leagues with regards to ERA, and I don't think that you've got a full-time relief pitcher right now for the St. Louis Cardinals that is posting up an ERA that is better than a 3.55 in Jojo Romero. Giovanni Gallegos is right around that fold as well, but the likes of Drew Verhagen, and Andre Pallante and company, they just have not been able to hold up their end of the bargain. Meanwhole, you've got a Philly team that is eighth in the league with regards to bullpen ERA, both post-All-Star break and overall for the season. And for the Phillies, they've really heated up with their offense since the All-Star break. They are fifth in the big leagues with regards to runs per game with Bryce Harper all of a sudden finding it. He had three home runs in his first 55-plus games of the season. He's got nine in his last 35 games, posting up a 400 on base since the All-Star break. That is massive for a Philly team that they've been relatively league average with regards to the deep ball, though Kyle Schwarber has done his part as well. He's had a double-figure amount of homers since the All-Star break, 34 home runs as far as the season. Could use a little bit more than that buck 84 batting average, but got plenty of guys moving the line. I was talking about Harper a little bit earlier, but you've got the likes of Brandon Marsh, Alec Bohm, Bryson Sott, all guys that will be able to hit at least a 282 for this team. Yohan Rojas, he's seen limited at-bats, but when he's been out there, he's been able to get on base as well. Nick Cassianos, 21 bombs, hitting at 275. And Trey Turner, he has really been able to have his best run of the season as well. You take a look at what Turner's been able to do over the last 14 games. He's been able to slug out four home runs, hitting in the neighborhood about a 333. Very encouraging. Meanwhile, for the St. Louis Cardinals, They've been a top 10 team with regards to home runs on a per at bat basis all season long, but Lars Newpar, Alonzo, and Gorman are out of the fold. That's combined 36 home runs between the two of them. Gorman at 24 all by himself. Newpar was giving you north of a 350 on base, so they're having to trot out there. Guys that you really don't trust in in the outfield, you've had to give at bats to someone like Mason Wynn and company, so. That's been a bit of an issue. Paul Goldschmidt still getting on base with right around 370 on base, but just 20 home runs as far as the season. You expect a little bit more out of him. Nolan Arenado has been the constant for this bunch and for 26 home runs, but this team has been having their issues on the road all season long in terms of being able to get runs as well. Only about 4.35 runs per contest. That has been a little bit costly for the team as they just have not hit the same on the road as they have at home. I do think that for the Philadelphia Phillies, they're going to be able to get to Michaelis. They've got a good bullpen advantage. I think that Christopher Sanchez is just a better pitcher than Miles Michaelis. My DK Network right to pick is going to be on the Phillies on the money line. Like I said, if you take the run line, I see an advantage there as well. Personally, I will probably be taking a look at a run line myself to be able to get a little bit of plus numbers. I think that this is going to be a little bit of higher scoring game. This is a semi-total at 9.6. So looking at the over, my right up pick, that is on the Philadelphia Phillies on the money line. 957, 958 on the betting board, the San Diego Padres. Throughout, they're facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Brendan Woodruff is going to be on the bump for the crew, and you Darvish is on the bump for San Diego. San Diego is an underdog of between plus 105 to a plus 110. Anywhere between minus 115 to a minus 125 is your number on the Brew Crew. And the total is 8, with a over between minus 110 to a minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 110. And going to be looking at the Brewers in this ordeal. I did set them more in the neighborhood of a minus 134 with Brandon Woodruff. We've seen him come off the injured list and be highly effective in the past. As a matter of fact, he just did it last year, and I feel like we're going to be seeing the same once again this season as 
For Brandon Woodruff, a very small sample size this far this season. He's made five total starts. He's given up two runs or fewer in four of them. He did give up four runs in his last start against the Texas Rangers. That is on the road against a Texas Rangers team that is number one in regards to runs per game in the American League. As a matter of fact, in the entirety of the big leagues, number one in terms of runs per game at home. Woodruff putting up nice numbers, nine and a half strikeouts at two walks. Per nine innings, fielding independence 466. That's just merely because of a very small sample size and the fact that he did give up a pair of home runs in that start against the Texas Rangers. But I do like the way that he's been throwing. The velocity appears to be there, so I don't have a lot of concerns on that front. Meanwhile, for you, Darvish, he's just been all over the place this year. 435 ERA compared to a 396 fielding independent. He's been a little bit unlucky this year. He's still getting right around nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings. But Darvish, ever since he's gotten to San Diego, he has an ERA that's right around a point and a half higher on the road than he does at home. Thus far this season, it's been much more fair with regards to the split. 436 home ERA, 434 ERA on the road, and he's actually given up far less hard contact when he has been on the road, which is very strange because Petco, very pitcher-friendly ballpark, giving up right around 1.5 to 1.6 home runs per game at home. More around 0.6 to 0.7 home runs per game on the road, but... I do think that the Brewers are going to be able to get to him a little bit as William Thomas has really picked it up over the last week or so for the Milwaukee Brewers. For the crew, he's gotten three home runs over the course of his last six games, sitting at 385 in the sign span over the last 13 games, hitting about a 320. So that's massive as his on-base percentage overall for the season is right around a 295. Christian Yelich has been really the guy to be able to move the line, get on base for this team. 370 on base, 16 home runs. Love what he's been able to do. And ever since coming over to the Brewers, Carlos Santana has slugged out the deep ball. He's already got six home runs over the course of his first 90 or so at-bats. He is hitting just a 200, and that's a big concern that you do have for the Brewers. They are dead last in the National League with regards to batting average. The Padres, they are one of your lesser teams with regards to overall batting average as well, so that's been an issue as well, but they were able to fortify things a little bit more towards the bottom. You've had Garrett Cooper do a very solid job being able to give you about a 250 overall for the season, came over at the trade deadline, and then you do have Juan Soto, Manny Machado, both supplying 24 home runs at Machado. Has been able to heat up a little bit more recently with regards to the deep ball. Being able to hit three home runs over the team's last six games. So that's very big as he was really slumping before. And overall with his batting average has been slumping over the last three days. Only hitting about a 230 or so. And being able to bring in the likes of Garrett Cooper is big towards the bottom of the full. Because the bottom guys have just not produced all season long. Likes of Matt Carpenter, Rude Odor. When he's been out there, Austin Nola, they've... Being able to relegate him out of the lineup, but guys like this hitting at 220 or lower is a big reason why the overall season numbers for the Padres indicate that they have been really bad with men on base. But Luis Campusano has been taking a lot of reps at the catcher's body. He's been with about a 290 for the team. And for the Padres, it's been about a league average bullpen overall this season. Stephen Wilson coming back has been able to fortify things as in late June into July, this was one of the worst bullpens in the big leagues. Now you've been able to get Stephen Wilson back. Now Robert Garcia along with Luis Garcia. These guys have had rough seasons in general, both posting up north of a 4-5 ERA, but you still have Josh Hader. He's been one of the best closers in the big leagues, but with regards to the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that knows a lot about that guy by the name of Josh Hader. They've been the second-best bullpen with regards to ERA in the National League post-All-Star break. You've got Joel Piamps along with Abner Uribe, the young guy who really throws some heat, Hobie Miller 
all being able to give you a sub-2-3 ERA. Top out Devin Williams, who's been one of the most dominant closers in the big leagues as well. For the Brewers, it is a little bit rough with their offense, but Hugh Darvish just has not had a good season in general. I do think that the Brewers are going to be able to get to him, and we have seen Brandon Woodruff give up a little bit of the deep ball as well. It's a Padres team that has hit better on the road than they have at home all season long, so it did something I told him at 8.2. Looking at the over, and with the Brewers, one to lay up to a minus 134 on that money line, 959960 on the banking board. The Earths and the Diamondbacks play out to the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Barrett Kennedy getting the start for them. Brandon Fott goes for the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are between minus 158 to minus 165 favorites. Between plus 136 to plus 145 is your number on the red legs. 9 to 9.5 nine is the total on the 9.5 over and under. Both at minus 110 on the 9. Over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. And with the reds, need at least a plus 147 to take a shot on them. If you're taking a look at the run line on the Arizona Diamondbacks, You'll find that more in the neighborhood about a plus 125 to a plus 128. This is a spot where if we just get like two to three more cents on the right, see at least a plus 147, I'm going to be willing to dive in there. And I do think that when the Vegas timelines come out, I should be able to get that number with Kennedy. It's a small sample size, but he's honestly looked halfway decent for the Reds. I've got more faith in him than I did in, say, Luke Weaver earlier in the season as for Kennedy, he made a start about a week or so ago against the Toronto Blue Jays, was able to turn five scoreless innings there at the minor league level thus far this season. Has not been like some insane strikeout guy or anything like that, but just does a solid job tossing strikes, giving this team an opportunity. And he goes up against an Arizona Diamondbacks team that right now the offense has been Christian Walker. Christian Walker has been absolutely incredible for this team as you take a look at what he's been able to do over the last 13 games, five home runs. He's hitting north of a 320 in that time span. He's been really producing for the team, but Corbin Carroll here in the month of August hitting a sub-240. We have seen him regress a little bit. And then you've got Lourdes Gurriel, Quito Marte being able to supply between 19 and 20 home runs. Carroll, he's been able to give you north of 35 stolen bases, 21 home runs. But the bottom of the fold does have me a little bit concerned. You've been having some issues with regards to having Evan Longoria being out of the fold. Emmanuel Rivera has really been slumping and regressing a little bit as well. He's been out of the fold the last few weeks for this team as well. So you got your issues there. It was so bad for Carson Kelly that he got DFA. They brought in Tommy Pham, and he's been a little bit hot and cold at an ace home run in that series against the San Diego Padres. But you also have an Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen that's dead stinking last in the big leagues with regards to ERA since the beginning of the month of July. It has really not been good. Kevin Ginkle, along with Kyle Nelson, I bet will give you a sub-3-5 ERA, but pass that. These guys are gas cans. We shall see if Paul Seawald is going to be able to help fortify things in the back end for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but Miguel Castro is posting up north of a 4 ERA. Joe Mantiply has had a really rough season. You've had Scott McGough just be absolutely terrible as well, so it's been rough. And for the rest, it's a pretty league average bullpen in regards to all splits. You've been able to have the likes of Buck Farmer, Ian Gabo, Alex Young be able to supply sub-4 ERAs, just be able to hold down the Ford all 375 or lower with that regard. And then Alexis Diaz has been one of the better closers in the big leagues. And for the Reds, despite the fact that they play in a hitter's haven out there in Great American Ballpark, they're actually averaging more runs and a better on-base percentage on the road than at home. Ellie De La Cruz, he's been all over the place. He's been able to make flashy plays, but not necessarily the routine plays. But love what Spencer Sear brings to the table, about a 355 on base. He's been able to slug out 18 home runs as far as the season. Jake Fraley, Matt McClain, both have been able to get 15 home runs. But with McClain along Jonathan India, these two guys being on the injured list 
it has been a little bit costly for the Reds. You can tell that it's been a little bit rough for them. And this is a Reds team that they just hit a little bit better when they're going up against lefties and righties. So that is something that you do want to be taking note of. Fott is a right-hander. And with Brandon Fott, he's looked much better recently. At the beginning of the year, this guy was just a complete gas can that was completely unreliable. And he's still given out three-plus runs in three out of his last five starts. But it's been coming together for him a little bit more. But... I do have fear that he's going to continue his struggles at home. 796 home ERA, 420 ERA on the road overall for the season for Mr. Fott. He's been giving up about 1.8 to 1.9 home runs per nine innings. Doesn't give up a lot of walks. Gives you about 7.5 to 8 strikeouts per 9 innings. Fielding dependent is better than a 6.13 ERA, but I think that this is getting to be too lofty on the Diamondbacks. At a plus 147 or higher, I'm going to be one to dive in on the Cincinnati Reds on the money line, and I certainly think that Brett Kennedy gives up some runs. I think that Fott gives up some runs. Both of these teams very solid at being able to move the line, get on base, even though they don't necessarily have supreme power. So, going to be taking a look at the over semi-total at 9.8 and the Reds at a plus 147 or higher. 961-962 on the betting board. It is the Atlanta Braves. They hit the road. They're facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Logan Webb goes for the Giants and Spencer Strider is on the bump for Atlanta. The Braves are anywhere between minus 152 to minus 160 favorites. Anywhere between plus 130 to a plus 139 is your number on the Giants. 7.5 is the total. The over is minus 115 and the under is minus 105 with Logan Webb. Did need at least a plus 132 to be able to take a shot. We have gotten there, and I'm going to be willing to dive in on Logan Webb, who has just been the master of being able to pitch at home. This is obviously very much a pitcher's ballpark out there in Oracle Park, but for Logan Webb, he has just found a way to be so much more effective at home than on the road. These are career numbers. North of 300 innings pitched both at home and on the road throughout his career. 276 home ERA, 414 ERA on the road. He has pitched 303 and a third innings at home, and he has allowed 15 home runs. Now, he has the test of having to go up against the best matching team in all of baseball in the Atlanta Braves. They are setting records with the way that they have been able to hit home runs all season long. Your front four guys, Ronald Cunha Jr., Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, medals, and at least 28 home runs. And now they've got a fifth guy, Marcel Zuna, with 28 home runs as well. That is going to be a very stiff test to go up against. And all these guys, all five guys, hitting at least at 262. It's just been absolutely ridiculous. The Atlanta Braves lead the National League with regards to batting average, runs per game, home runs per game. You just go down the list. And the trepidation that you do have with the San Francisco Giants is, are they going to be able to provide enough offense for Logan Webb? Because... You take a look since the All-Star break, and the Giants are hitting a paltry 218 as a collective. Warmer Flores has been really the lone form of offense for the Giants. The Giants have 34 home runs in 37 games since the All-Star break, and he's got 10 of them. He's hit a 347. He has done his part. Terry Estrada, when he's been out there as well, he's been moved line, though. He's missed about half the games post-All-Star break. That's been a little bit of an issue, but we've had a, guy, a lot of guys like J.D. Davis, along with Lamonte Wade Jr., Blake Sobel, hitting at 210 or lower. Post-All-Star break, Brandon Crawford has been nowhere to be found as well as he has been in and out of the fold. They've been dealing with an injury to Mikey Strumsky as well. So these have been issues for the San Francisco Giants. But with the Giants as well, they've got the number one bullpen with regards to ERA in the National League since May 1st overall for the season. It actually belongs to the Atlanta Braves. But you've got the Rodgers brothers, Ryan Walker, Camilio Duvall, Scott Alexander, all these guys went 
They are actually trotted out there as bullpen pieces. As Scott Alexander has actually been really awful as an opener. In the bullpen, he's got a sub-3-5 ERA, but they've all been able to do a solid job there. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, you've been able to have some really good closes from Rossi Iglesias recently, Michael Tonkin, Kirby Yates, Joey Menez. These are guys giving you a sub-3-5 ERA, but I do think that for Spencer Strider, you've got to have a little bit of worry about him because he's got those strikeout numbers. His fielding independent is much lower than his 350-70 ERA as a result of those strikeouts, but he's been getting tattooed pretty hard recently as well. He has just been all over the place, giving up four-plus runs, and now four out of his last ten starts. It's really an all-or-nothing sort of thing with regards to our good friend as he has made four starts here in the month of August. He's given up zero or one runs in three of these starts, including one against the San Francisco Giants where he gave up one hit in seven scoreless innings. And then he gave up six runs while getting eight outs against the Pittsburgh Pirates when he went on the road in that start as well. So he truly has been all over the place. I do think that with the Giants seeing Spencer Strider for the second time in less than 10 days, with Spencer Strider being really a two-pitch pitcher, this actually lends itself to the Giants being able to get to him just a little bit. I did set my total at 7.6, so here to 7.5. I am going to be taking a look at the over. I do think that the Giants, with their platooning splits, are going to be able to find a way to be able to get to Strider this time around. And at north of a plus 132, won't take a shot on Logan Webb and the Giants. So the money line, 963-964 on the betting board. The New York Yankees hit the road face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Zach Eflin hopes to not be Eflin awful for the Rays and Garrett Coles on the bump for the Yankees. And the Yankees are between plus 113 to plus 115 underdogs. And between minus 123 to a minus 130 is your number on the Rays. And your total on this game, it is between 7 and 7.5 seven on the 7. Over is minus 120 and the under is even on the 7.5. The under is minus 115 and the over that is minus 105. And... With the race, I was willing to go up to a minus 132 on this money line. So I'm going to be willing to lay it with the New York Yankees just miring in mediocrity. 1-10 in their last 11 games. Garrett Cole is supposed to be the ultimate stopper, but in his last start against the Boston Red Sox, got completely destroyed. I certainly do think that we're going to get a much better effort from Garrett Cole, but even if we do get a much better effort out of Garrett Cole, are we going to be able to get a win? The team is just 1-4 and four in his last five starts, and if you want to go back even further, 2-5 and five in his last seven starts. Now, if you include the All-Star game, the teams are 2-6 and six in his last eight. We're certainly not going to be counting that, but for Garrett Cole, he's done a rock-solid job all season long and has actually been better on the road than he has been at home. 262 road ERA, 334 ERA at home, giving up just four home runs at 68 and two-thirds innings when he has been on the road. So he's not really the concern, even though he did have a little bit of hiccup in his last start, and the Rays have been able to get to him just a little bit, as the Rays have actually pounded five home runs at 17 innings against Garrett Cole this year for a 476 ERA. But with regards to the New York Yankees offense, that is really the main concern. They have been averaging four runs per contest ever since Aaron Judge went on the injured list. Actually, fewer than four runs per contest. They are the dead last team in the American League in terms of runs per game since June 4th. That is when they played their first game without Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge, two days ago, he had that grand slam. He had that nice game. But he is right now the only one for the New York Yankees that is really able to move the line. As you'll notice day in and day out, the Yankees will have two players in the starting lineup with north of a 320 on base. Judge and then Labor Torres, who's been able to give you 20 home runs this far this season, as Torres, Giancarlo San, Anthony Volpe have been able to hit between 17 and 19 home runs, but with Volpe, with Stanton, Jake Bowers, Oswaldo Cabrera, Oswaldo Peraza, Gregory Allen, Ben Rodefit, guys like this, they're all hitting a 220 or lower. And then you've got a New York Yankees team that has done a great job with their bullpen. Credit where credit is due to them. 
Keenan Middleton in a New York Yankees uniform. Ian Hamilton, Tommy Camley, Wandy Peralta, Clay Holmes. These have been guys that have been able to give you sub-3-5 ERA all season long. The Yankees are number one with regards to their bullpen ERA, but for the Tampa Bay Rays, they shouldn't need to go into their bullpen too much in this one because they do think that Zach Eflin is going to be able to continue his home dominance. For Zach Eflin, he's always had dramatic home and road splits dating back to his time with the Philadelphia Phillies, and he's had that this year. 437 ERA, 305 home ERA. He is 10-3 and in his 14 home starts, giving up about one home run per nine innings, giving up one walk per nine innings when he's been at home with that 305 ERA. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, you still have guys like Colin Poucher, Pete Fairbanks, guys that are very trustworthy in this bullpen, Robert Stevenson, along with Jake Diekman, who they brought in off the scrap heap. They've been able to provide a sub-325 ERA with the Tampa Bay Rays as well, even with dealing with the Wander Franco issue. You still have seven different guys that have been able to give you at least 15 home runs this far this season. All but two of these guys have been able to hit for at least a 255. And I think what is really big for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays as well is that you've got Yandy Diaz continuing to be able to give you 400 on base. Rainio Rosarena has been able to pick it up after he was going through a little bit of a funk as well. And then Isak Paredes just has been able to provide consistent power for the team north of a 350 on base. This team has good splits with regards going up against both righties and lefties. So I do think that the Tampa Bay Rays, they are going to be able to get to Garrett Cole. Cole's had his issues not just this year, but throughout his entire career when going up against the Tampa Bay Rays. That was back in the G-Man Choi days when G-Man Choi used to completely light him up. But I do think that the Rays do a solid job in this ordeal. I did set my total at some point too, mostly seeing 7.5. I'm going to be willing to take the under just because the Yankees just have not been able to generate offense outside of Aaron Judge. And... I think that Zach Eflin just going to let Aaron Judge take his free pass, and then he's going to be able to attack everyone else. So, looking at the under, and with the race, willing to lay up to a minus 132 on that money line. 965-966 on the betting board. The Houston Astros are on the road facing off against the Detroit Tigers. Matt Manning goes for the Tigers, and Framber Valdez is on the bump for the Astros, and the Astros are favorites of between minus 170 to minus 180 on the money line. Minus 105 to minus 110 is that run line. Meanwhile, between plus 150 and plus 156, your number on the Tigers, 8.5 is the total. Over is between minus 110 to a minus 115. The under is between minus 105 to a minus 110. I was willing to go up to a minus 108 with this Astros run line. Don't want to be laying much more than the minus 105 that I'm seeing out there, but I am willing to lay that minus 105, willing to go up to a minus 108. You do have Framber Valdez, who's been struggling recently. That's the best way of putting it as... For Framber Valdez, he has allowed now at least three runs and five out of his last six starts. Granted, I feel like there have been times where the Astros have left him out there just a little bit too long and put him in some rough ordeals, but post-All-Star break, his ERA is well north of a six. He's got a 3.55 ERA compared to a 3.51 fielding dependent, and overall for the season, nine strikeouts at 2.2 walks per nine innings, but that is just not the Framber Valdez that we are currently getting. He has been giving up a lot of hard contact. He has been having his issues just both at home and on the road. Going up against the Tigers seem that they seem to be gaining a little bit of confidence in terms of this lineup as you've been able to have Spencer Torkelson along with Kerry Carpenter really hitting the deep ball. These two guys now have a combined 43 home runs now with the Tigers. This is also a bottom seven team with regards to batting averages. You just don't have a lot of guys that are able to move the line. Riley Green has been able to about a 295. Love what he's been able to do. And Matt Veerling has been able to about a 265 as well, but you got the likes of Akil Badu, Zach Short, Nick Maton, Javi Baez, Jake Rogers. These are all guys sitting below at 225. And 
everyone aside from Purdue. They've got a sub-300 on base for the Tigers. It's a relatively league average bullpen. Tyler Holton, Jason Foley have really been your main guys being able to supply a sub-3-3 ERA. They bring in Andrew Vasquez from the Philadelphia Phillies to fortify things as well. Bull Brisky has not been too bad either along with those AC Cerno, but with the Astros, top eight team in terms of their bullpen ERA going into the day. On Thursday, obviously, Thursday was a less than savory performance for everyone involved with the Houston Astros, but saw plenty of guys that have been able to do a solid job in this bullpen. As you've got Phil Maton, Hector Neres, Brian DeBreu, Ryan Presley, Kendall Graven, all being able to supply a sub 3 2 ERA. And then for the Astros, they actually are the top scoring team in the American League since the beginning of the month of June. Kyle Tucker has been able to supply 25 home runs, hitting about a 295. You've had Plenty of guys being able to move the line a lot more recently. Alex Bregman off to one of his just patented slow starts of the season has picked it up really ever since the beginning of the month of June up to about a 360 on base. Chaz McCormick, he's up to 19 home runs, about a 285 batting average out of him. You've had good production as well out of Jose Altuve since he's come off the injured list as well. I will say Jordan Alvarez, he has been in and out of the fold, so do you want to be taking note there? He's been dealing with a few ailments and has just not quite been himself over the last few days, but for the Astros, I do think that they should be able to get to a guy in Matt Manning that he just really doesn't do anything great. I do think that he's going to be a really good pitcher in like two to three years, but you can tell that he's still in the developmental stages of his career, has been stunted a little bit by injuries as he's only getting about 5.8 strikeouts to 2.5 walks per nine innings. Throughout his career, has had an ERA about two points better when he's been at home rather than on the road, but a 525 fielding dependent compared to a 431 ERA. I do think that the Astros should be able to get to him in this spot, and I do think that with Framber Valdez going up against, let's call it what it is, even though the Tigers have been a little bit better recently, less than terrific competition at the plate. He should be able to pick it up a bit more, so I might tell it at 8.4, looking at the under, and one to lay up to a minus 108 on that Astros run line, 967-968 on the betting board. It is the Cleveland Guardians on the road, facing off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Chris Bad said, has the hook line and sinker for the Jays, and Tanner Bybee is on the bump for Cleveland. Cleveland is the underdog of between plus 126 to a plus 147. Meanwhile, anywhere between minus 150 to minus 160 is your number on Toronto. 8 to 8.5 is the total. On the 8.5, under is minus 120. The over is even. On the 8, the over is minus 120, and the under is even. And if you're taking a look at that run line, by the way, you're getting a plus 148 laying a run and F with the Blue Jays. I did set the Blue Jays more around a minus 177, as with Chris Bassett, I just feel like he's a vastly different pitcher when he is at home rather than when he is on the road. I faded Chris Bassett a ton, by the way, during those early summer months in May, June, because it felt like he was not getting used to the pitch clock, but he feels like he's been able to do a much better job recently, and for Bassett, at home, he has been one of the more dominant pitchers that we have found in the big leagues thus far this season. As he's posting up a 283 home area, giving up five home runs in 76 and a third innings. On the road, he's giving up north of two home runs per nine innings, and he has been giving out an ERA that is hovering right around five. So, big giant divide there, and he's going up against the Cleveland Guardians lineup that they are currently dead last in the big leagues with regards to home runs. They are not coming off of a double dip, but they pretty much played like 14 to 15 innings yesterday because they had suspended game as well. So the bullpen is a little bit more taxed, and that's one of the best attributes that you do have with this Cleveland Guardians team as we've had so many guys all season long do a solid job in this bullpen. Emmanuel Classe obviously is a closer. And then from there, 
You have Aniel De Los Santos, Trevor Steven, Eli Morgan. These guys, they'll be able to give you a sub-3-4 ERA. They get James Karinczak in the fold, but I do think that the extra innings for yesterday, that is going to be taking a little bit of a toll on the team. And for Tanner Ryby, he does have some home and road splits of his own as well. His overall for the season, but 9-3 with a 3-0-1 ERA, but a 2-0-2 home ERA, 4-0-4 ERA on the road. On the road, he has been giving out right around 1.6 and 1.7 home runs per nine innings. Just two bombs in 58 innings when he has been at home. Now, for the Blue Jays, they've honestly had their struggles. When they have been at home with regards to hitting thus far this season. They're averaging about a half a run per game less at home rather than on the road. But good news for the team is that they do get back Boba Shett who has been able to give you 18 home runs, hitting about a 320, and you've got plenty of guys that are able to get on base for this team. Bichette, Whip Merrifield, Flagger Jr., Matt Chapman, they've all been able to give you between about a 335 to a 350 in terms of their on base. Brandon Belt is up to about a 370 in terms of his on base. Then very average with regards to their home run power end. You could use the likes of Kevon Biggio, Danny Jansen, being able to pick it up at the bottom of the fold. But this Blue Jays team has been number two in the American League post-All-Star break with regards to ERA. They've been able to have a lot of guys be able to step up. Bowden Francis, Tim Meza, Eric Swanson have all been able to give you a sub-3-4 ERA. You get Jordan Romano back in the fold as well. They trade for Jordan Hicks at the trade deadline. I think that Chris Bassett is going to do a solid job against the Cleveland Guardians team, which You've got Jose Ramirez, who's been able to give you 19 home runs as far as the season. Then the next two guys with regards to home run power, Andre Semenez, along with Gabriel Rios. You've got a combined 18 home runs as far as the season. The Guardians actually made the playoffs last season, despite the fact that they had the second fewest amount of home runs in the big leagues. But that's when you had the likes of Stephen Kwan, Ahmed Rosario, who's now on the Dodgers, by the way. Andre Semenez, Oscar Gonzalez, Stephen Kwan, all being able to at least a 270 for this bunch. Only guy hitting north of a 260 out of that bunch right now is Stephen Kwan. So I do think that the Blue Jays are going to be able to take it to the Cleveland Guardians, getting a plus 148 on the run line. I'm going to be willing to lay that run in half, take the Blue Jays. And I did set my total at some point nine. I do think that we're in for a little bit of a lower scoring game. So looking at the under to go along with that Blue Jays run line. 969, 970 on the betting board. The Chicago White Sox play us to the Oakland A's as Zach Neal goes for the A's and Dylan Cease is on the bump for the White Sox. White Sox are between minus 183 to minus 195 favorites. They're between plus 162 to plus 170 is your number on Oakland. 8.5 to 9 is the total on the 8.5 over is minus 120. The under is even on the 9. The under is minus 125. The over is plus 105. With these two bullpens, it has been a really rough run for both of them as they are both in the bottom five with regards to ERA. And there is clearly one significantly more trustworthy pitcher than the other in this one. That'd be Dylan Cease. As a result, I did set the White Sox at a minus 206, and with the run line, I was willing to go up to a minus 108. If you're taking a look at that run line right now, find that in the neighborhood of even money, seeing a little bit of plus 105 to plus 110 action out there as well. So I'm going to be willing to ride with the run line of the uh, Chicago White Sox. With the White Sox and Dylan Cease, it certainly has been a rough year for both, but Cease is still able to give you right around 10 strikeouts per nine innings, and has been a little bit better ever since. He had a very rough start to the season. He is coming off of a start where he did give up five runs, but that was at elevation at Coors Field. Prior to that, he had given up a total of two runs in at 11 and a third innings. Meanwhile, for Zach Neal, even if you don't really trust in the track record that we've seen out of Dylan Cease this year, Hard to really know what we're going to be able to get out of him in a starter's role. As for Zach Neal, this is one of the most long and winding roads that you're ever going to see for a pitcher. He spent a lot of years in the Nippon Baseball League. 
He has come back to the States this season. He has made seven total appearances as a little bit of a long reliever. 825 ERA with an 818 fielding dependent. I think that his 3.8 home runs per nine innings are going to be going downward just a little bit. I do think that there's a positivity doing for him. If you want to take a look at what he did as a starter in Japan during the 2021 season as he was with the Subu Lions at the time. He really hit the skids there and he's been just a little bit all over the place. Spent last year at the AAA level for Albuquerque and it was not really going well on that front as well. I just take a look at Zach Neal and really hard to have a lot of faith in him. Then again, both of these bullpens, they both stink. Austin Pruitt has been able to give you a sub-4 ERA for the Oakland A's. And Anel Felipe was able to give you some good innings as well. But now he's on the injured list. Meanwhile, for the Chicago White Sox, Gregory Santos has been having his issues recently. And Lane Ramsey has been okay. But pitching on both sides is relatively rough. Hitting on both sides is rough. The Oakland A's are dead last in the big leagues with regards to runs per game. And if you look at the Oakland A's and the lineup that they trotted out there yesterday, you had five different guys entering into the game with a sub-220 batting average. You had one guy in the lineup for the Oakland A's with north of a 328 on base. Two guys with an on-base percentage higher than a 305. As Brent Rooker has been able to give you 21 home runs, he's been able to supply about a 330 on-base. And Zach Eloff, he's been able to give you about a 295 or so batting average. Ryan Noda, he's been able to do a solid job as well. It's actually a few guys that have been able to provide north of 328 on-base. So I was underselling the Oakland A's a little bit, but still, when you've got the likes of Tony Kemp, Bella Mendes Diaz, Shea Langolaris, Jonah Bride, Nick Allen. You just go down the list of guys and you get 220 or lower. It's rough. And for the White Sox, they are 29th in the league in terms of walks drawn on a per at-bat basis. But able to have Andrew Benatendi give you about a 341 on base. And he's the only guy on the roster giving you north of a 325 on base. Luis Robert being able to pound out. 30-plus home runs as far as the season has been nice as he, Eloy Menes, both in between about 265 to 275. But you do have your guys at the bottom of the fold like Yoan Moncada that have been relatively rough. Tim Anderson hitting for just a 240 this year has been brutal for the Chicago White Sox. So it's a good old something's got to give case. I do think that Dylan Cease is going to be able to dominate an Oakland A's team that is dead last in the big leagues with regards to runs per game, even though they've been a little bit more solid on the road than they have been at home with regards to their run production. So this is a spot where I did something told at 8.6. You're at an 8.5. I do think that the White Sox get to kneel on this bad bullpen. Going to be taking a look at the over. And with the White Sox willing to take minus 105 or better, laying a run and a half with them. 971-972 on the bang board. The Walker, Texas Rangers hit the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Sonny Gray goes for the Twins and Dane Dunning looks to get her Dunning for Texas. And Texas is back to being a bit of an underdog. You're going to be getting them between plus 105 to plus 115. Right around minus 121 to minus 125 is your number on Minnesota. 8.5 is the total. The over and the under ending between minus 105 to a minus 115. And with the Twins, set them on the money line at a minus 114. Needed at least a plus 115 to take a shot on the Rangers. We have barely gotten there at a few books, so I'm going to be looking on that front with Sonny Gray. It has been a case where every time I watch him, I just fear that the bottom is going to fall out because he has been having a little bit of a tough time with command all season long. He always finds a way to be able to get out of a lot of sticky situations as well. As for Sonny Gray, he has allowed three runs or fewer in all but three of his starts thus far this season, 25 in total. His 278 fielding independent actually leads qualifying American League starters. So he's been able to do a solid job on that front, getting about 9.3 strikeouts per nine innings. And the specialty of Sonny Gray, not giving up the deep ball. Five home runs allowed in 143. 
three innings. That's going to be big because you've got a Texas Rangers team that may have been slugging it out all season long. But going into the series opener on Thursday, Rangers about 1.7 home runs per game at home, more like one home run per game on the road. Now, they were able to get to Pablo Lopez yesterday, and when it comes to the Texas Rangers lineup, Every single guy in the starting lineup yesterday was hitting above a 250. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I think you had one guy in the starting lineup with below a 320 on base as well in Leody Tavares. But, I mean, just everyone has firepower. They're all able to crank out home runs, as I believe everyone except for Travis Janikowski also had at least 12 home runs. Corey Seager is the main catalyst of this offense. Hitting about a 345. He's up to 24 home runs this season. Marcus Simeon at the leadoff spot gives you 20 home runs. They do it against lefties. They do it against righties. And for the Minnesota Twins, they've been really relying upon the deep ball themselves. As you've got five separate guys that will be able to give you at least 15 home runs this far this season. Carlos Correa, Max Kepler, Byron Buxton, who's injured once again. Joey Gow has been a little bit out of the, in and out of the fold. And you've also been able to have Michael A. Taylor do this as well. And for Taylor, he actually had a pair of home runs in the game yesterday, so credit where credit is due, but this team has had a tough time just being able to find guys to be able to get on base. You've been able to get Donovan Solano, Royce Lewis to be able to give you a little bit more on that front. Solano about a 370 on base, and Royce Lewis coming back is big. He's hitting north of 300, that's absolutely massive. Matt Walner, whenever he's been out there, has been solid, but he's become a little bit more of a platoon player. They've been giving some at-bats to Jordan Luplo. Maybe they'll mix a matchup for the Minnesota Twins. They do add a little bit north of 20 points higher when they are at home rather than when they are on the road. They do have a bit of a bullpen advantage when it comes to Minnesota Twins. This is a Texas Rangers team as in the bottom 10 of the big leagues with regards to bullpen. Areas. You've been able to have a few solid performers like a Brock Burke. I like what... You've been able to get out of Jose LeClerc, along with the role of Chapman. These guys have been able to post up at the sub-375 ERA, but Will Smith has been having his issues recently. Meanwhile, for the Twins, Yohan Rodon, I do believe, is one of the best closers that you're going to find in the big leagues, but having Brock Stewart out of the fold has been earning this team. They get the Caleb Theobar off the injured list. He's been a little bit up and down in the Griffin Jackson Emilio Pagan, hovering right in that neighborhood about a 345 ERA. Has been solid as well. And for Dane Dunning, he's done a nice job of, much like our good friend in Sonny Gray, just being able to keep the ball in the yard. Dunning has not been stunning with regards to strikeout numbers. Only about seven strikeouts per nine innings, but giving up 0.9 home runs per nine innings, I think he's doing for a little bit of regression. 3.20 ERA compared to a 4.07 fielding dependent. Has given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. So that's been fascinating to look at. And he's been a bit better on the road this year than he has been in past years. Past two years prior to this year, he had an ERA that was well north of two points higher when he was on the road rather than when he was at home. So you know, it was really ailing him. But I did something until it an 8.6. I do think that both of these guys give up some runs looking at the over. And I'm willing to trust in that Texas Rangers lineup getting a plus price. Willing to take plus 115 or higher with Rangers and take a look at the over. 973-974 on the betting board. The Kansas City Royals are on the road facing off against the Seattle Mariners. Bryce Miller goes for Seattle. And Brady Singer is on the bump for the Royals. Royals are underdogs between plus 160 and plus 170. Meanwhile, between minus 175 to minus 205 is your number on Seattle. Eight is the total over and under between minus 105 to a minus 115. I set the Mariners on the money line at a minus 188. If you're taking a look at that run line, you're going to be finding that more in the neighborhood of a plus 105 to a plus 110. I needed pretty much any sort of a plus number. I needed at least a plus 104 to be able to dive in there. So getting between a plus 105 to a plus 110, I'd like to get maybe a little bit more of a plus price, but I'm going to take that plus price with Bryce Miller. He's just been really good in terms of his command. Has been a little bit up and down. 
in his rookie season, but he's really been able to find it recently. Last three starts, a combined two earned runs, three runs in total allowed against the Angels, the Astros, and the Baltimore Orioles. That is pretty impressive. He has been prone to giving up the deep ball a little bit. He has been giving up right in the neighborhood about 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but the walks, he's been able to maintain 1.8 per nine innings, about 8.2 strikeouts per nine innings. So he's done a good job of just not beating himself. And he goes up against the Kansas City Royals team that they are just going to go for it. With the Royals, they're actually number one in the American League with regards to batting average post-All-Star break, but they also are generating a walk on fewer than 5% of their at-bats as well. You've had Bobby Wood Jr. really just slugging the ball out of the yard. He's been able to generate nine home runs over the last 28 games. He's done a nice job hitting a 280 overall for the season, but in this recent run over the last 30 or so days, has been able to hit north of a 330. You've been able to have MJ Melendez rise up a little bit more. He was having a rough season along with Michael Massey. Not like they're having amazing seasons, but you know what? It's looking a whole heck of a lot more respectable. Salvador Perez, he's been able to give you 19 home runs, hitting about a 255. This is a royal team that both solves our break. They've been a top 10 team with regards to runs per game. Meanwhile, for the Seattle Mariners, they're in that same vein as well as for the Mariners. They have been dealing with a little bit of an ailment to Julio Rodriguez. I think that he should be good to go with regards to this series. He was able to play towards back half that series against the White Sox, so should be good to go there, but just do want to be monitoring that a little bit, but with Rodriguez, Oscar Hernandez, and Eugenio Suarez, and Cal Raleigh, all between 18 and 24 home runs, and for Raleigh, He's doing really nothing other than hitting home runs, but he's doing a good job of being able to hit the deep ball as you take a look post-All-Star break for the Seattle Mariners. That's when the light has really come on for this offense. He's got 13 home runs since the All-Star break. And since the All-Star break, the Mariners are hitting a 264 with a 346 on base. That is one of the best offenses in the American League in that time span. J.P. Crawford is now back in the fold as well. He was dealing with a little bit of a concussion, was on that concussion IL. He's been able to give you 420 on base since the All-Star break. If you do have a trepidation with Seattle, it is the fact that the bullpen has been a little bit sketchy when it comes to some of these late-game scenarios where they've been in close games, as the Seattle Mariners have won by a large margin a lot of their games recently, but you still do have a top-five team with regards to bullpen here. The likes of Taylor Cicado, Justin Topa, Isaiah Campbell, Andres Munoz, they've all been able to give you some... 3-5 ERA for the Royals. This continues to be a bottom five bullpen with regards to ERA. Taylor Clark continues to have north of a five ERA. Just have not been able to get anything out of the likes of Jackson Cower, Taylor Hearn. These are guys that they just should not be on a big league mound right now. So I do think that the Seattle Mariners are going to be able to get to the Royals bullpen. But I do think that in the meantime, Brady Singer is going to be able to turn a good start for Brady Singer in the first half of the season. He was one of the most unlucky pitchers in all of baseball, and he still has numbers that indicate that his ERA should be coming down. He's got a 5.04 ERA overall for the season, but a 4.06 fielding independent. He was giving out a lot of walks towards the beginning part of the season. He's been able to rectify that. He's back down below three walks per nine innings. Has given up less than home run per nine innings. And he had his ERA get up as high as a 6.34 during the middle of the month of June. But you take a look at his last ten starts for Brady Singer, more around a 3.45 ERA, 3.51 fielding independent, giving up less than home run per nine innings. In this time span, that does include his rough start when he went up against the Chicago Cubs. But all in all, I do like the form that Brady Singer is in. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a sneaky, low-scoring game against a pair of teams that have found some offense post all star breaks. I might tell at some point I'm looking at the under, but with the Seattle Manners getting a plus 105 higher, looking to lay a run and a half with them. 975, 976 on the main board. The Baltimore Orioles play out to the Colorado Rockies. 
Kyle Freeland is on the bump for Colorado, and Cole Irvin is on the bump for Baltimore. Baltimore is a favorite of anywhere between minus 180 to minus 190, anywhere between plus 154 to a plus 166 is your number on Colorado, with nine being the total. Overs between minus 110 to a minus 120. The under, that is anywhere between even and minus 110. And with the Orioles, I was willing to lay up to a minus 105 with that run line. It's anywhere between a plus 105 to a plus 110. So sign me up there. Kyle Freeland has been very interesting this year, to say the least, as last few years, because this is typically the case with pitchers at elevation. He's been able to do a little bit of a better job on the road than he has at home, and has been a reversal this year on the road this year. 1-9 and nine with a 540 ERA. Not that he's lit the world on fire at home, but 468 ERA, 4-4 record when he's been at home thus far this season, but for Kyle Freeland, honestly, it could be worse as he's got a 518 fielding depending compared to his 502 ERA. Just getting no swings and misses whatsoever. About 5.8 punch-outs per nine innings, 2.6 walks per nine innings as well. So things have been very much less than savory on that front. And he goes up against someone in Cole Irvin that has actually been able to really do a good job of getting more swings and misses this year for his career. Cole Irvin has been more around a six, six and a half strikeout per nine inning guy. This year he's up to more around 8.2 strikeouts per nine innings. Part of this has been he's been utilized a little bit more in a long relief role as well. They have utilized him both as a starter and out of the bullpen, but last two games it has been starts from now. Granted, one of these starts were against the Oakland A's, but one run allowed across 10 innings in these two starts. Looked very solid, got nine strikeouts. Really like what I'm seeing out of him. It feels like he is starting to come of age a little bit more, and the lineup backing him up. Obviously, it is far better for the Baltimore Orioles as you got an Orioles bunch at post-all-star break. They've been able to generate a little bit over 5.2 runs per contest. You've got just good balance in general with the Baltimore Orioles. Typically, hitters like 2 through 7, 2 through 8, they're able to give you an on-base percentage with nobody really north of a 335 and nobody really below a 310 at the Santander long Gunner Henderson. These have been your two main guys in being able to crank out the deep ball. A combined 44 home runs between the two of them. Adley Rushman typically bats leadoff and he's been the main man to be able to generate some offense. 370 on Bay, 16 home runs, but then you've got Ryan Moncastle. So it's coming off the injury list, hitting well above a 350 in that time span. Prior to going on the injury list, more like a 227. He's really had a second half of the season resurgence. You get Cedric Mullins off the injury list, about a 325 on base. He's a former silver slugger. Ryan O'Hearn has been able to 300. So very good production out of the Orioles. They do have platooning splits where they're able to go up against righties and lefties, and they're able to attack them with their depth. Meanwhile, for the Colorado Rockies, You've got Ryan McMahon, who's been able to give you 21 home runs. He's been able to give you a 335 on base. And to the credit of the Rockies, they had the by far biggest splits home to road with regards to their offense last year. And you're always going to have big splits with the Rockies. But they're averaging the most runs per game at home of any team in the big leagues last year. Less than three runs per game on the road. That's more like 3.7 to 3.8 runs per game on the road this year. So it's been a tad bit better. Elias Diaz, Charlie Blackman, in between about a 270 to 280. That's been a very welcome sign. And on the road, you have been able to get a little bit of production out of some of these younger guys as well that aren't as affected by elevation as you've been able to have some like Nolan Jones on the road. Be able to give you about a 335 on base. He slugged out six home runs in his road games. Ezekiel Tovar, he's got seven home runs at home. He's got seven home runs when he's been on the road as well. So these guys have done a little bit of a better job of coping with that now. For Daniel Bard in the bullpen of the Rockies, he has went straight down the tubes. Was a very reliable guy towards the beginning part of the season. That's been an issue. Brent Suter has become an issue. Justin Lawrence has as well. 
This is a Colorado Rockies team that both saw a break. They are a bottom five team in the big leagues with regards to the bullpen area. Overall for the season, they're a bottom five team with regards to bullpen area as well as it's a 744 for this bullpen over the last 30 days. Meanwhile, in that same time span, you've got the Baltimore Orioles being fourth with that regard. Yanir Cano, Phoenix Batista have been able to supply a sub-2 ERA. Now it is a bullpen that doesn't necessarily have a ton of depth. Mike Bauman has been okay for this team. CNL Perez has been a little bit up and down, but I do think that the Orioles should be able to take care of business pretty comfortably in this spot. I did sell my total at an 8.9 here tonight. Looking at the unders, I don't think that the Rockies could be able to generate too much against Cole Irvin and company like the way that he's been able to have a career renaissance and for the Orioles, want to lay that run line. 977-978 on the bank board. The Boston Red Sox, they play us to the LA Dodgers. As for the Dodgers, it is Lance Lynn on the bump and for the Red Sox, it is old to be determined. So this is a game that is presently off the board. I was thinking that we were going to be getting Cutter Crawford and in Cutter Crawford against Lance Lynn, I did set this number to where I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 124 with the Dodgers, even though they did have that random suspended game, which did cause them to dive into the bullpen a little bit more. And then with regards to Crawford versus Lynn, I'd be setting my total to where a nine and a half or less. I'd be taking a look at the over a 10 or higher to the under. But right now we are in a little bit of mystery right now with the Boston Red Sox. If they do go with a little bit more of a bullpen game, like they trot out there, Chris Murphy, and then a bunch of just poopoo platter of pitchers from there, it would be a spot where I'd probably be downgrading this by about 15, maybe 20 cents, depending upon who goes out there. But we need to see what is going to be happening on that front as for the Boston Red Sox, they've been able to do an amazing job of being able to reach base at home. They've got the best home batting average of any team in the big leagues at a 286. On the road, they were hitting about 45 points lower entering into the day on Thursday, but we saw on Thursday them be able to put up 100 million billion runs, so that differential should be a little bit smaller. And for the Red Sox, it's not like they necessarily have supreme power at home. They're averaging about 1.1 home runs per game at home. Rafael Devers is the only guy that at home has been able to give this team more than nine home runs, and out of his 29 home runs as far as the season, just 11 of them have come at home, but you just have all these guys being able to find a way to get on base. Jaron Duran, Pablo Reyes, Justin Turner, Alex Verdugo, Masataka Yoshida, all hitting above a 300 at home. All these guys at least a 367 on base at home. Like Rafael Devers, a 360 on base when he's at home on the road. That falls by north of 40 points. And do have an L.A. Dodgers team that is very ordinary with regards to batting average, but they're number one in the big leagues with regards to walks drawn on a per-at-bat and a per-game basis. And they've got the Boom Squad and Max Muncy, Mookie Betts, being able to supply a combined 63 home runs this season. For Muncy, he's a prime example of not necessarily flashing the average, but being able to move the line. Buck 94 batting average, but 329 on base. Mookie Betts, he has been hitting very well. 405 on base, 310 batting average, and for Mookie Betts, it's just been an absolutely incredible run for him recently as he's hitting a 405 over the last three days. So he's been on absolute fire. You've had Freddie Freeman be able to give you 412 on base, 23 home runs. They've got good splits against both lefties and righties. And for the LA Dodgers, post all-star break, they've got the number one bullpen in the National League with regards to ERA. Evan Phillips, starter grader, all Caleb Ferguson have been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. But the former Red Sox, Ryan Brazier, sub-2 ERA since getting over to the LA Dodgers. You've been able to do a nice job of mixing and matching in this bullpen. Meanwhile, for the Red Sox, you had the likes of Josh Winkowski, Brent Bernardino be able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Chris Martin, actually a sub-2 ERA. And Kenley Jansen has been halfway decent. 
with regards to the closer spot as well. So if you do get Cutter Crawford, I would be willing to take the Red Sox at a plus 125 or higher, minus 123 or less. We'll be looking to lay the Dodgers with a 9.5 or less to the over, 10 or higher to the under. And if you get more of a bullpen game on the Red Sox, this probably decreases the Red Sox bullpen by about 15 to 20 cents. And in this ordeal, it would likely be a scenario where a 10 or less would draw an over and a 10.5 or higher to the under. And we wrap things up with 979, 980 on the main board. The Angels hit the red face off against the New York Mets. Kodai Senga is on the bump for the Mets and for the Angels. It was supposed to be Tyler Anderson. Tyler Anderson had to pitch north of four innings in that double dip on Wednesday, so he is not going to be getting the start. It's to be determined. I would think that the Angels would just bump up Chase Silseth. That would make all the sense in the world, but right now with the LA Angels, nothing makes sense with them, so it's a game that's off the board. If you do get Silseth against Kodai Senga, I'd be selling the bets, honestly, at a minus 154 on the money line to where an 8 or less, I'd be taking a look at the over 8.5 prior to the under if they decide to call up some sort of prospect or anything like that because they've really been utilizing a six-man pitching rotation, which is why I think that utilizing Silseth makes the most sense in this spot. Then it would probably be a rather big differential. If you utilize Patrick Sandoval as well, because I know that ESPN is projecting Patrick Sandoval, it'd be a relatively similar number here as well, right around about a minus 150 or so with the New York Mets. Might be a tad bit lower because I do have a little bit more faith in Patrick Sandoval because he has been around the block a bit more than Chase Silseth has for Sandoval. He's been a master of being able to keep the ball in the yard and really not much else. We do know that we're going to be getting Kodai Senga though, and the reason why I do have the Mets as such a sizable favorite is one. I mean, the Angels are now also without Mike Trout. Don't forget about that. I mean, everyone is buzzing about Joe Otani not being able to pitch. Mike Trout is now on the fold as well, so that's not great. And for Kodai Senga, 263 on the 382 ERA on the road. He's been one of the few bright spots for the Mets this year, being able to mow them down north of 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings at home, giving up about 0.65 home runs per nine innings. And the Mets, they've been able to do a good job of being able to hit home runs. They haven't done anything else post-All-Star break, but they've been able to hit home runs. Pete Alonso, 39 home runs, and the overall batting average this year is a 222. but over the last three days, he's been hitting north of 260. Francisco Lindor, over the last three days, his on-base percentage has been north of a 375. He's up to about a 255 average. The home runs have slowed down a little bit for him as Ian Francisco Alvarez both a combined 44 home runs as far as the season, Lindor at 23, but he's been able to do a solid job as well. And then you've had the duo of Jeff McNeil and Brandon Nimmo, both hitting about a 265. So you got some nice hitters up top for the Mets, but when you look to guys like Mark Ventino's, when it's been guys like a Rafael Ortega, Tim LaCastro at the bottom, that's been the real issue and also an issue for the Mets. This has been one of the worst bullpens in the big leagues all season long. Now, I actually like Sam Coonrod and Adam Florek, guys that have been up at the big league level last few weeks. That's actually providing me a little bit more security with this Mets bullpen. Brooks Raley has been able to give you a sub-3 ERA all season long, and then for the LA Angels, just who's ever left is out there. I think that Shoei Otani should be able to still hit, but we shall see on that front because I still remember when he went underwent Tommy John surgery during the 2018 season, during the 2019 campaign, he was still able to swing a bat, so we shall see on that front. We should know more on Friday, but that said, you've got Brandon Drury, Hunter Renfro, both being able to supply 18 home runs, and it's still been a okay offense as you've had Drury being able to hit about a 265 for this team. You've been able to get some good at-bats out of the likes of Mike Musakis when he's been out there and company as well, but they've been dealing with now an injury to CJ Crone as well, and what has been really hurting this team, Mickey Moniak was really good when the LA Angels were in a position to be able to buy. When it did look like they still had a shot at the playoffs for Mickey Moniak. He has went straight down the toilet bowl recently. 
hitting for a 228 on base percentage over the last three days and the last 45 days post All Star break. He has been one of the worst hitters legitimately in the big leagues. That has been an issue. Luis Ranifo has not been able to give you too much either. And for the LA Angels, you've had Matt Morbiel slice up three year in the bullpen, but Carlos Estevez has seen a big drop off. They traded away Jacob Webb, so they no longer have his services. You've had Jose Soriano be a little bit up and down as well. So if you get Kodai Singh against like Patrick Sandoval, Chase Silseth, this is in the neighbor about a minus 150 or so that I'd be willing to lay on the Mets. And then an eight or less will be looking at the over and eight and a half higher to the under. And that will wrap things up for the Friday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. A big thanks to Jeff Parles of Visa for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way, it's find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review, and I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.